great to be here. Great to be back. I had uh, two Sundays not preaching. And uh, so you're going to get all of Pastor Andy today. Woo! I walked into the church today and smelled chilly instantly. And it just was, oh, it was the Lord, right? It was the presence of the Lord. All right, joking aside, it is great uh, to be here with you. Worship team, thank you. Um, Gerald, also thank you. I love getting a chance to pray for the nations. I love getting a chance to be spiritual family together. What God is doing here um, is not the only thing that God is doing. God is at work and he is moving around not only our city and our state and our country, but God is moving around the world through his people and in the lives of his people. So thank you for praying with us. Um, We've been working hard to get some great videos so that you can see uh, some of the other churches and what's going on around the world. Uh, So stay tuned for that. We have been in a series, a teaching series called Serpent Crusher. Today is the last of that series um, that we're teaching on. And if you missed any of it, no worries. If you caught none of it, no worries. You can go back and catch it. But each, each sermon is its own standalone message. And as we read from the Old Testament, one of the things, maybe if you grew up like me, uh, the Old Testament was filled with these old stories. And they were entertaining. Don't get me wrong. The Old Testament was entertaining. It was a great read. It felt like the kind of thing that would make for a great film, right? But it wasn't necessarily anything that I read that had bearing on my life. It didn't speak to me like that. That was entirely the New Testament, right? And so you, in your mind, you, oftentimes we have, we have this this collection of of kind of dusty stories that don't have a whole lot of bearing. They talk about God and they maybe encourage you with God, but, but there's just not much relevance to you today. But interestingly enough, when you read the Old Testament and we start all the way in the very beginning in Genesis, and on that fateful day, when Adam and Eve made the decision to rebel against God and his authority, we see sin enter the world. And it's, as we are describing it in this series, it's like a snake bite, right? And that poison, the poison of sin, has been working its way through all of creation ever since that fateful day in the garden thousands of years ago. And we can see the progressive nature of sin and that poison. And and the Old Testament gives us a picture. It gives us a story, so to speak, where we see the progressive nature of sin continuing to be at work. And instead of things getting better, things continue to get worse. And it highlights our tremendous need for something miraculous to happen. God promised all the way back in Genesis that there would be one that he would raise up that would crush the head of the serpent. And so with each generation in the Old Testament, we see a people longing for that deliverer 
to be raised up to finally, once and for all, crush the head of the snake, to undo the effect of that poisonous bite thousands of years prior. The Old Testament, therefore, is not just this collection of old random stories. It's actually one story. It's the progressive story leading us and pointing us to Jesus. That is your Old Testament. And I realize it can be hard to read it at times. It can be difficult to understand what on earth is going on. There's cultural things, right? There's, there's law-based things. There's societal, political. There's all kinds of things that we do not naturally grasp or understand, but we have to do the work, and I get to do the work as the one preaching of helping us see Jesus in the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament isn't a collection of random stories. It's actually one story. And that one story points us to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need more of Jesus in my life. I need more of his grace I need more relationship. I need more power. I need more strength. I need more hope. I need more healing. I need more of everything that Jesus is. And if the Old Testament can help open my eyes to more of who Jesus is, I want it. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. As we close the series today, that was a long intro for you, but that's okay. Daniel is written by uh, Daniel, okay, surprise, I know that just blew your mind, Uh, about 600 years before Jesus was born, the book of Daniel, or Daniel was, was, uh, for lack of better words, uh, upon the earth, we have the kingdom of Babylon, we have God's people, Israel, they've been, they're under the oppressive rule of Babylon and King Cyrus, and so you have Daniel who writes and pens this letter, and it's designed to be an encouragement, it's designed for, for God's people to hear it, to read it, and to understand that God is in control. That throughout history, God has been in control despite all hardships and difficulties and things you don't understand. God is in control. He has been in control over empires and through people and individuals and kings. And throughout history, God has been at work and he still is. He's just working it out. Let's say that together. I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to turn, I'm going to be a Baptist preacher for you today, right? Let's say this together. God is working it out. On one, two, three, God is working it out. Sometimes you need to remind yourself, do you not? Deep breath. My life feels a little bit crazy. God is working it out, right? It is both true. It is also something I'm saying because I need to be reminded of it. God's working it out. You got a health issue, God's working it out. Hold on to it. You got something going on relationship-wise, marriage-wise, parenting-wise, 
Trust that you serve a God who's bigger than your situation, bigger than your problems, bigger than history, and he's working it out. He's working it out. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. Now, Daniel was so distinguished, right? He so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps, uh, which are governors, by the way, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they're unable to do so. They couldn't find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, well, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. You can, you, I want you to catch this, right? They're fawning here. This is what we call, this is, this is manipulation 101. May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, well, that person should be thrown into the lion's den. I mean, King Darius, it's only, I mean... Should we expect anything else? Throw that person into the lion's den. Get his friends. Get his family. Clearly, it's what they deserve. Throw them into the lion's den. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. This is the children's story, right? That, you know, it's Daniel in the lion's den, right? And we've got some great moments that are about to, to come our way. But before we get there, can we just rest in the reality here that Daniel is a pretty good guy? He's a good dude. He's getting promoted. And what is it that, that has set his contemporaries on fire? It's jealousy. He's getting promoted and they are and they don't like it. And it's like, it's like the goody, goody two shoes moment where it's like, all right, I can't find anything against this guy. I, this is a very crude example, but I had family in town this past week and we were playing video games and, you know, grandma's on the couch dominating every single person in the room. And we're trading controllers, and it's just one after the other. He's just, he was just, he's not here, otherwise I, I wouldn't be saying this, to inflate his head, right? But he dominated the entire room the entire afternoon. Nobody could get a hit in. Nobody could beat him. Nobody could, it was obnoxious, right? Where you're like, come on, is anybody going to find anything, right, against this kid? And no, we didn't. So I had to sabotage. Had to cheat, right? And as his dad, I'm entitled to do such things, <laughs> right? Well, that's what's happening here. Only the, 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 the implications are far greater than a video game. This is his actual life. 
And he's living it in such a way. He's so impeccable. He has such character that he's being promoted. And and the people that work alongside of him, they're not getting the same promotion that he is. And they're mad about it. So they want to take him down. And they know there's nothing they're going to find, nothing they're going to be able to do unless it has to do with what? His relationship with God. That was the only thing. Not because his relationship with God was weak, but in fact, it was the exact opposite. They knew that if there was going to be any area where this man was unbending, it would be this relationship with God. We surely can find some way to trap him. And that's what they went for. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Daniel hears the decree, and so when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So nothing has changed for him. Not a thing. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Now, this is a big deal because what they're getting ready to go do in this moment is now rat Daniel out. And in our minds, culturally speaking, we're like, okay, like if the king really knows Daniel and if the king loves Daniel and is already going to promote Daniel, why doesn't he just like unwrite this decree or be like, okay, no big deal. It's Daniel. I mean, we all know Daniel. We're not throwing him into the lion's den. Are you kidding? That's for like really bad guys, right? This isn't for Daniel. That's how we would understand this text and this story. But that's not how this works because culturally speaking, especially in Babylon, if you are a king, you are considered God. You are worshiped as God. And so for you to make a decree and to make it law, it is as though God has spoken. And so for you to now go back and to have your little henchman over here tell you, oh, we got this wrong. We need to undo this. It is the same thing as saying to the people of the land that God makes mistakes. And as the king of Babylon, you are not going to live and carry and demonstrate that kind of weakness in your kingship. You are, after all, God. And so if I made a decree and you violated that decree and the consequence was the lions, then it doesn't matter how much I like you. It doesn't matter how much I love you. It doesn't matter that we've got promotion in store for you. You're going into the lions den because to undo it would be to say to my people that I don't have all the power and all the glory that a God would have. That's why in this moment, there's no concession made for Daniel, in case you didn't know. So the king gives the order, verse 16. And they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and was placed over the mouth of the den. 
And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I read the story of Daniel and there's, there's a few things happening here, church. But I... How do I say this? The story of Daniel is designed, remember what we said in the very beginning. Old Testament is to point us somewhere. It isn't just a random story for a random story's sake. The story of Daniel... Just like stories of David and stories of Moses, they are in and of themselves, right? They are moments in history that are true and real and we can draw out things that, that make a difference in our own lives. But we also need to take a step back and see the bigger picture at work and how God is using this story to point us to another story, a grander story, a story of Jesus, but I also read this. It's, it's twofold. It's like, it's like the, it's a true pronged moment here because I'm also convicted in this moment because I see this man, Daniel, and I look at this and I'm inspired. And the tendency is for me to be like, yeah, I'm Daniel in the story, but I'm not Daniel in the story. In fact, I'm not anything close to Daniel. And the more I read of Daniel, the more I realize I'm, how is this man living this way. I'm not anything like this guy. And I feel conviction. I feel challenge. I feel inspiration also at the same time. Like a whole range of Holy Spirit inspired emotions as I read this story. But I am confronted with the reality that David, or excuse me, that, that Daniel is a man who is, who is after God's own heart, much like David. He's innocent, the scriptures say. Literally, the scriptures say nothing could be even said about him. He's got it going on. He's got character. This guy isn't sneaking out of his house in the middle of the night, meeting with shady characters. You know, organizing shady deals. His, his browser history is clean. It's above board. There's nothing financially, you know, there's no impropriety as he's managing the books and the finances and the staffing. It's all above board. This man is living for God. And yet this happens to him. Do you catch this? Does the humanity in this story rise to the surface? Because I'm going to tell you how I would react. Are you, are you kidding me, God? Are you serious? After all, I, after all I'm living for you and doing for you, and I mean, I could have done this. I could have done that, but I didn't. I'm holding out strong for you. And this is how I get repaid? This is what you're doing? Come on, God. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Are you even alive up there? What is going on? Are you guys with me? Tracking with me here. 
to use one of my popular catchphrases. Are you tracking with me? Because that is many times the normative human response. It's to say, man, I don't feel like this is deserved. I don't feel like this is warranted. I don't feel like I should be dealing with this. That's the reality of how many of us feel. I'll give an example that just happened this week. You know, my mom lives in Columbia, Tennessee. And she's, she's just turned 70 years old and is working hard to stay in health and shape. And she's out in front of the, her house early in the morning and she's walking and she's getting exercise. And it's something that she had to work to, to get to, just to, to get to that spot. Was a, was a mountainous climb and journey. There were some really significant health challenges over the past several years, but she got there, right? She got there. She loves the Lord, going for it. Involved in her church, shares her faith, prays for people, prays for you, prays for this church. She's out at about 7 a.m. in the morning. The sun is, I guess, just beginning to come up. But, but, you know, she's 70 years old and there's a little lip in the sidewalk, right? And the concrete's raised and it catches her foot and down she goes. Square hits her face, fractures under the eye, has to be rushed to Vanderbilt Medical Center for several days because there's hemorrhaging on her brain. And if you think I'm throwing this out there as, as like this, this underhanded kind of manipulative way to feel sorry, no, 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 no. I, I want you to hear this, though, because this is the progressive nature of how we experience things. Because I will be honest with you, we, we, were, we were on the phone, we we're praying, we we're talking to doctors, we we're talking to, you know, potential surgeries that have to happen and all the things. And, and, and you know, P.S., is she, she going to be okay, right, which she is? But I also would hang up the phone and I'm in my garage and, I, and, you know, doing the whole pacing deal, you know, down the street while I'm on the phone. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, are you kidding me? Like, I'm a pastor. Don't I get something here? And now I made it all about me, right? Even in this moment. Who is it actually should have been about that moment was my mother, right? But in this, still in this moment, I'm like, golly, God, my sister and I and trying to sort out and figure this thing out and talk to doctors. We don't know what we're doing and all the things. God, are you joking me right now? After all the things we're doing from church planning to pastoring to trying to raise a family to share faith to do this. There's so many other things we could be doing here, God. And this is the decision we made. How is this how I'm repaid? And now we begin to see the difference between Daniel and us. Or maybe more specifically, Daniel and me. Maybe your response would, wouldn't have felt that way. Maybe your normative response would have just been quick and simple, easy trust in God in that moment. But it wasn't. It was frustration for me. It was resentment for me. It was, frust- it, was, it, was, it was angst. 
And I had to intentionally bring that to Christ and intentionally bring that to Jesus. That was the reality of my situation. Some of you also know that this is not serious, but still it was the icing on the cake. I love to put together 18 and up Lego sets. I'm all about it. I know, it's a childish thing to do, but it's one of those things where it's a stress reliever for me. A lot of athletes do the same thing. After the big game, they'll come in and they just <sighs> decompress. I'm in that way on Sundays, put on sports. And I put together this awesome, you know, multi-thousand piece set. I'm carrying it over to the shelf. You know what's going to happen. You already know where this is going. Yeah, it happened fell over. I put it all together again. I walk it over the shelf. Falls again. Do it a third time. Falls a third time. Now, Graham was just watching from the corner of the room. <laughs> Amy had her phone and was sneaking it around the corner videoing because they were like, we're going to catch dad, do something. Like just beat something, break a chair. They didn't, right? But I was close. Later the same night, right, I'm, 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 I've got contacts out, glasses on, right, and it was just one of those weird timing moments where I wheeled and turned, but the door was open in the exact right spot, right in the face, glasses shatter off my face, and I'm like, God, you clearly hate my life right now, <laughs> clearly, right, but this is how we feel. It's how we translate the experiences that we have. And yet here we have Daniel, right? And even, I didn't say this, but sometimes for us, church, is this not true that some of the greatest offense that you hold in your heart is over what God could have done but didn't? It's that God could have done this, but he didn't do it. He did something different, and I'm experiencing pain and difficulty in this moment. God, where are you? Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So we've got a story here, church, where Daniel is pointing us to Jesus. And he's also in this very particular moment, allowing us to see how very unlike Daniel and now also unlike Jesus, we truly are. I read the story of Daniel and I don't see myself living this way. I say, holy cow, God, I need a miracle. I need a Savior, I need somebody who can help me live like this. I need somebody who can give me faith like that. I need somebody who can help me trust like that. God, this story is amazing, but I don't see myself naturally in it. 
well, what am I supposed to do? And it actually primes the pump. It actually positions my heart and yours for the Savior who is to come. Now, if you remember, after Jesus, he is raised from the dead. He dies on the cross for the sins of the world. But people don't understand it at the time. They don't get it. And Jesus shows up and he's walking along the road to to, um, Emmaus with two disciples and they don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus decides that he's going to begin all the way through the Old Testament. He's going to begin revealing the Messiah to them as they're walking along the way. That they would see it because they didn't see it. And in this moment, we are supposed to be encouraged by Daniel, inspired that God works in the details of our life, but it's also supposed to help us see our tremendous need for a Savior. And how does this story lift our eyes from our current situations and bring hope and bring encouragement? Let me tell you how God does it. In the same way that Daniel had no charges that could be brought against him. Why? Because he was innocent. We are to see the shadows of Jesus already in the beginning stages of this story. Much like Daniel, Jesus also has no charges that can be brought against him. The only course of action was to trap Daniel with the law of God. Who else did such a thing to Jesus? The Pharisees as they tried to entrap Jesus. Daniel was falsely arrested as was Jesus. A stone was then covered and put over the tomb where Daniel was prisoned where he was imprisoned, where he sat in darkness. Now, Daniel wasn't dead, but figuratively speaking, he was. Just as Jesus was set in the tomb and the the stone was put over such his grave and then also sealed, just like the sealing of Daniel's tomb as well. And Jesus was innocent death had no victory over him. Death had no sting. And Daniel's miraculous story is similar in that he himself was innocent. And he says that an angel came and held the mouth of the lion shut in the midst of my darkness, in the midst of my pain, and in the midst of my difficulty, in the midst of all this confusion, God, you showed up. And then this crazy thing happens. Daniel 1 verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language. This is after David is hoisted out of the den. So every language in all the earth, he writes, he says, may you prosper greatly. He's going to issue another decree. <laughs> A decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. See, Daniel points us to Jesus. 
And what we see in this moment is that Daniel's deliverance and the way God moved in his life. In the moment, you wouldn't have been thinking of Messiah. In the moment of Daniel in the lion's den, you're, in, you're inspired because you see a God who is intimately acquainted with the details of our life and he delivers us and he does. You need to know that God is in control and he's working in the affairs and details of your life. He also, though, lifts your eyes that you might see the grander story, not just of him working in the individual particular moments of your life, but he's pointing you to a Messiah, a Savior, who can not just change the dark situations that you're in, but can transform your life. See, there is a pit that all of us find ourselves in. There is a lion's den that we all find ourselves in and it's going to take more than just a prayer or a, a little moment, a little encouragement, a little big idea to just slap on some wood and put on the wall. You need a savior to save you. And Daniel points us to Jesus. He points us to a Messiah a miracle-working deliverer who can save us not just from this moment of difficulty and hardship and trouble, but our very sin, the very brokenness that exists on the inside of us. Jesus is the one who delivers us from our own lion's den. Then this crazy thing happens. It's figurative. Or maybe that's not even the right word. In the story of Daniel, Daniel's moment of faith and trusting in God, it leads to blessing to who? The nations. And what is it that Jesus does for all of humanity? Not just you, not just me, but literally for the world, he brings blessing and freedom and deliverance. We see just piece after piece after piece after piece. The story of Jesus being told in the Old Testament that you might lift your eyes and see a Messiah, a deliverer, a savior who's at work in your life right now. Stand to your feet. You might have been like me or you might be there now where you're like, God, are you there? Things might feel unjust or might feel frustrated. You might be disappointed. You might be having the best week of your life. God's at work in all of it because he's at work in the details of our life. He is in control. He is working it out. Just like he is in the story of Daniel and just like he is in regards to Jesus showing up and bringing wholeness to your life. He's working it out. Even though you may not see it, and the story of Daniel should inspire you to have faith in a God that is bigger than your problems and bigger than your situation. He's that much bigger. He's that much in control. And today, you may need to just renew your trust in him. 
Father, in this moment, we thank you that you work. Lord, in this story of Daniel, God, the story of all these figures in the Old Testament, you, you're pointing us to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is our Messiah, our Savior, our Deliverer. And Lord, when we look at Daniel, we see echoes of the cross already. We see echoes of our Messiah and it inspires us, Lord, to lift our eyes, to trust in God Almighty in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of darkness and confusion and the lion's den in our own lives. Lord, we trust you. And so, Father, we relinquish control even right now. God, we, we literally just even figuratively open our hands. God, we, we let go and we choose to trust you through all of it. God, would you meet us in our needs? Would you be the Messiah and Savior that we need? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.